Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And we are your killer couple critiquing and arguing over horror films like a couple of weirdos at the bar. So maybe we never quite enlighten you. Maybe we never blow your mind. Maybe we never sick our deformed blobby brother on you (laughs) and throw him out of his basket in his screaming banshee rage. But hopefully you just have a good time listening. So tonight we are wrapping up our theme. It came from 1982 with, if you haven't guessed already, the 1982 film Basket Case. So (laughs) this was written and directed by Frank Henenlotter, who was actually born in New York City, grew up there, uh, spent a lot of his time watching sleazy flicks on 42nd Street, uh, which was basically, as some of you might know, kind of like the hub of Grindhouse, essentially, in, in America. Like, it was... You know, kind of the place where a lot of those movies thrived. Movies like Basket Case. This um, explains so much. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Basket Case was actually Henenlotter's feature debut. He had done one short before this called Slash of the Knife. Uh, went on to do films such as Brain Damage, Frankenhooker, Bad <laughs> Biology. He also did two Basket Case sequels as well. <laughs> okay, wait. Uh, there are sequels and he did Frankenhooker? Yes, he did. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I, I have mixed feelings about this now. Because you like Frankenhooker, right? I love right? Frankenhooker. Frankenhooker's great. Yep. So is Brain Damage. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so uh, the film stars Kevin Van Henterick as Dwayne. I probably said that incorrectly. Sorry, Kevin. Who was actually introduced to Frank and soon appeared in three different roles in his short Slash of the Knife. Uh, and then he was invited to do Basket Case later on. Uh, he also had a cameo in Brain Damage and returned to the role he plays here for both of the Basket Case sequels. <laughs> uh, so so he worked with Hendelotter quite a bit. It also stars Terry Susan Smith as Sharon. Uh, this was her debut role. She had a brief appearance in a show called Sundays that I am totally unaware of. <laughs> uh, otherwise, this was her only role, sadly, so only thing that uh, she had done up to this point. It also has Beverly Bonner as Casey, who also appeared in Brain Damage and actually worked with Tenenlotter quite a bit. Uh, he met her at a theater and really liked her and gave her his card and eventually called her to do Basket Case, and they ended up working together often. So she did this, uh, Brain Damage, Basket Case 2, and Frankenhooker, uh, all is the same character, I believe. That's awesome. Yeah, I could be wrong about that, but but she is Casey in. We in have to all rewatch Frankenhooker now. <laughs> and let's see. Uh, it also has Lloyd Pace as Doctor Needleman, who I just wanted to mention him uh, with the cast because I just think he's a lot of fun in this movie. <laughs> uh, and this was also his only role. I I get the impression from Henenlotter that he would have also liked to have worked with him quite a bit as well. Uh, but apparently they lost touch after Basset Case, so Aww. 
so you know they he doesn't know where he is. <laughs> uh. Not in that way. Not like he <laughs> killed him or something. <laughs> and then you know, for those of you that haven't seen Basket Case, it's essentially about uh, this guy named Dwayne who shows up on Forty Second Street and gets a hotel, and it turns out that he's there with his deformed Siamese twin brother, which he keeps in a basket. And they are on a mission to murder the doctors, which separated them uh, during their teenage years. Vengeance! <laughs> they, vendetta! <laughs> vendetta! <laughs> they have a vendetta! <laughs> and so, for those of you that have never seen the film, it is streaming on Shudder and Tubi, I believe. Highly recommend checking it out there. We are going to spoil everything that we can get to. If you don't have those services for whatever reason, uh, I do personally think it's worth renting if you're into these kind of sort of like sleazy grindhouse 80s horror movies. But it's, <laughs> it's an important movie in, in the horror community. It's cult classic. I, I don't know how you're saying that with a straight face. Chris is not a fan. but Okay, to be fair, <laughs> I want this to go on record. When Matt presented me with the list of all the possible movies we could do from 1982, I was the one who said that we should do Basket Case because it's you, important. You did. I'm not taking that away from you. Damn it's just, straight. It's just really funny knowing your opinion on the film and watching you say that with such a straight face. Just because it's not my personal taste doesn't mean people shouldn't watch it. How much you've grown. Um, so I can be mature sometime. <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, so anyway, so go stream the film there if you haven't seen it. We are going to spoil everything. But first, we have our brief little bit of spoiler-free content. So we'll let you know when we're getting into spoilers. So, just as usual, the tagline versus the film, what we think of it overall. So, although you already know what Chris <laughs> thinks. Uh, so, the tagline for Basket Case was, The tenant in room seven is very small, very twisted, and very mad. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think of the tagline, and what do you think of Basket Case overall? It sounds like they're just describing a cat. <laughs> What? <laughs> I mean, that, a little, little guy. I mean, I guess and he that's, is. I mean, I guess that's cats. If you think all cats are twisted well, assholes, li- which I mean, I think they're all assholes, but <laughs> they're definitely twisted. But no, I mean, it's fine. Whatever. It's fine. Whatever. That's <laughs> all you have to say about the movie. It's fine. Oh, whatever. No, that's all I have to say about the tagline. <laughs> okay. I have a lot to say about the movie. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> I am. So I'm going to go on like a little bit of a tangent, but I swear to God, it'll make sense. We'll see. <laughs> Fair fair enough. So, for me, this is the first time watching it, and it was one that I wasn't particularly looking forward to. Matt does a really good job of kind of keeping me away from movies that he knows have themes or scenes that I'm not particularly interested in. And Basket Case had kind of been on this list of, if Chris doesn't have to watch it, why should we? Which yeah, well, I, well I, also li- I also like to warn you when I think there are scenes in a film that you might not be particularly... Yeah, which I enjoy enough. (laughs) Which I really appreciate. So on first watch, there's a very interesting like title card that comes up that gave me a what the fuck moment, which is this movie proudly proclaiming the fact that it is part of the MoMA like Fuck yeah, it's proud of that. (laughs) As it should be. For those of you who don't know, MoMA is the Museum of Modern Art that's in New York. And after watching this film, I feel like that is the most apt description of this goddamn movie. And that is that, like, for me, I feel like Basket Case is a very good representation of modern art in film. And I'm mm. um, a good, like, capture, like, capturing the, like, insanity and intenseness that can be living in New York and some of that stuff. Having said that, MoMA is my least favorite museum. I don't get modern <laughs> art. It goes over my head. I, I just have a tough time with it. I, I love how I love how you go on this little interlude of like MoMA is, you know, it's in MoMA. It's this 
museum of art like like you're talking about like you're talking about it like you know like it it should be proud and all this kind of stuff it should and then you're like fuck moma (laughs) i also feel that way i am i am learning from you that i can compartmentalize in the fact that i do i i understand why people would like this film but for me it is chaotic i don't understand what's happening everybody's yelling and it goes over my head literally the little gooey man just screams at me and i don't like it well see i mean here's the thing is first of all i agree with you and moma is i consider this film art (laughs) i mean i consider all film art obviously but but you know i I modern art is its own subsect though but but I do but I do view this one in particular like I do view Hen and Lauder as a very unique voice you know yes he's the type of director that that I frankly miss seeing more of you know because now we kind of live in frankly more of a sort of studio system driven kind of product <laughs> sort of world where all movies are labeled as content and, and you know that's not to say that any any films we get now aren't as enjoyable they're very enjoyable. Um, but you definitely do see some restrainment in the big studio movies, right? Yes. Uh, in terms of like artist voice, and so you know, Henlotter, he he definitely has a very unique voice. Uh, I mean, I recommend all of his movies. I think they're all very fun and sleazy and just you know super weird. <laughs> and and the emphasis thing, on the super weird. And, and the thing with Basket Case is that you know, so this this was his debut feature, and basically. He was working on Slash of the Knife at the time, this short. And according to him, he didn't really have much, you know, not not that he didn't have much interest in doing a feature, but it wasn't, like, on his mind at the time. Mm -hmm. And anyway, one of the producers of the film basically gave him this opportunity of, like, you should make a feature, I'll produce it. And what kind of happened to sort of explain a little bit of, you know, what is so strange about this film that, that you're not particularly a fan of is that all the overacting all the screaming well is that is the fact that so originally when he wrote the script it was meant to be uh, a little bit darker more atmospheric scarier there was less comedy in it there's still comedy i mean that's part of henelotter's style but there was supposed to be less of it and essentially what kind of happened is you know as he describes it you know as appreciative of it as he was of the producer trying to raise money they were not successful in raising money. <laughs> and so what kind of happened is Henneliner ended up fronting, I think, like eight grand or something like that to, to begin shooting. And the idea was kind of like, all right, I'll throw my money at this and, and we'll start shooting and hopefully we'll raise money as we go, you know. And they did. As, as they were getting dailies in and getting footage in, they did eventually raise the money to finish the movie. But it was a long process. I, I think they were shooting for over a year because they had to oh, keep shit. they had to keep stopping and going back because they kept running out of money. And so that explains so much. And so the reason that you sort of see like an an emphasis and an exaggeration of everything in this movie, at least part of the reason, is that at a certain point Henlotter made the really smart decision of okay, I'm going to sort of make this less atmospheric, less scary, and enhance the comedy of it. You know, and, and I always think that that's a smart thing for uh, directors working with a low budget in horror to do is you have to realize, like, if you're going to make your film completely straight faced, you know, with the intent of just being horrific or, or scary or whatever, you better be damn sure that you're going to nail that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because otherwise, if you're not, you know, there are audiences out there that won't appreciate it as much because the budget will show, right? Yeah. And so 
And there are rare examples, of course, like Halloween that, you know, doesn't exaggerate or whatever and was very successful in being <laughs> this low-budget scary movie. But the point is, is that, you know, he understood, like, okay, this is a silly idea. I don't have the budget to really do something, quote-unquote, good. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just going to make it ridiculous, and hopefully it'll be entertaining enough to win over the audience. And personally, I think that's what he achieves. Like, I, I'm actually a fan of the fact that everything is so exaggerated and absurd and that everyone's acting is like to an extreme <laughs> dialed up to 11 <laughs> dialed up to 11 and you know it's not even 11 like the the dial is broken okay yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like i love that because to me again it's it's unique it stands out it, it is to me film is never supposed to feel real i hate it when horror especially strives for strive so hard for like reality Ew. i'm not watching movies for reality i'm watching movies for escapism yeah you know so so i love it i love films like this that are just absolutely absurd and feel like a weird dream you know <laughs> i i definitely agree with you that it definitely feels like a weird dream i can't explain with this one because like this movie should have, with the exception of, of the one scene that we know I'm not going to like just because it's not my jam, for, this movie should have hit like a lot of notes of me liking it because I do like the ridiculous and the overtop, and there's great kills in this, um, and I love over-the-top acting and stuff like that, but something about this movie just did not hit the vibe check for me. I, I mean, Even though I was laughing and making fun of it, <laughs> it still just doesn't hit the vibe check, and I don't want to watch it again. Yeah, I, I, I still <laughs> claim that Chris actually likes this movie and just can't admit it to herself because she was laughing and having like a great time with this <laughs> but normally a movie like that i'd get to the end to and i'd just be like cool this is one we can put in the roster but i'm very happy to never i think it's the fact that Bilal screams at me and for some reason i do really badly when there's a lot of loud chaotic noise in a film well, you, well, you which know, is so stupid it makes me sound like a small child <laughs> <laughs> well, not a small job, but you do have a thing with sound, right? And, yeah. and loud noises. And, and and look, you know, I mean, the fact of the matter is Hen and Lauder is not for everybody. No. Uh, he, he's not even <laughs> for uh, half the population, you know? He's very, very, he's very, very select audience. Mm -hmm. And I happen to be one of those who happen to not be. Yeah. And that's okay. <laughs> so, I like Frankenhooker. Frankenhooker yeah. has less screaming at me. It does have less screaming. But, um, but no, but, you know, last thing I'll say about before we get into spoilers is just like, I, I'm so glad that they shot a lot of this on 42nd Street mm -hmm. because it really just does – it is a film that even though I didn't have the pleasure of kind of, you know, getting to grow up in that area around that time. And honestly, I've never actually been. I've never been to New York, uh, and I'd love to go sometime. But, but, you know, just from what I can tell, just from what others have told me about it and, and just from what I've seen in film and, and you know, historical stuff and whatever – uh, it does really seem like it captures that vibe of what 42nd Street was at the time, which was this place that was kind of dangerous and sleazy and, you know, sort of scary, but also kind of had just like a really sort of unique kind of curiosity about it, you know, like because it is a place that was full of so many strange characters and interesting, pe you know, just interesting people and weird things going on and, you know, just places like these theaters, like the th like the theater that they show him uh, watching the movie at was actually like a porn theater, you know? And like, <laughs> um, Matt just and wishes that he lived in a sleazier time. I really do. No, I feel <laughs> I feel like I was supposed to be a child of the 80s, and <laughs> I yes. was born in the 80s, but I didn't get to experience the 80s, really. 
Uh, and I do feel like I was meant to grow up on like 42nd Street and just spend my entire day just watching weird, sleazy shit. Uh, but unfortunately, I had to grow up in the fucking suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> of Illinois, of all places. Yeah, fucking boring. Um, but anyway, so, all right, so we're going to move into spoilers now. So, again, if you have not seen the film, please go check it out, streaming on Shutter and Tubi. Otherwise, we suggest renting it if you're into these kind of things. Yep. That being said, spoiler time. So, uh, let's just start with Belial. You oh know, God. so your your favorite character of the whole movie. Um, so just what the fuck is his name Belial? Who names a lump of flesh Belial? That's a terrible name. I think the better question is why not Belial? I because I feel. I mean, like I mean, what do you, what do you want him to be like? Scott. 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 Scott, Scott the screaming blob. <laughs> yes, Scott the lumpy boy, the horny screaming lumpy boy. Okay, well, in case you didn't know, Belial is a, from my understanding, uh, another word for the devil, I think, in, in like, the New Testament or something. So. See, that's just <laughs> fucking rude. It's rude that they refer to... Lumpy boy. Lumpy boy is the devil. <laughs> Look, then you're just setting him up to be a screamy monster. Well, you have to remember, I mean, I assume that the father of the movie of the boys named him. So I it mean, makes sense that he would probably call him Belial, this thing that he fucking despises. <laughs> okay, that's a valid point. Although I'd like to make a counter argument to this of the fact that he was very dead set on not naming the lumpy blob side child and that the ant was. And so I would assume that the ant would have named the lump and she named well, him the devil, and that's just rude. His name is Scott maybe, now. Maybe His name is Scott. Maybe it's a term of endearment. Maybe the aunt's a Satanist, and she's like, fuck yeah, I love the devil. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, she, she's just sitting up in the attic, you know, playing records backwards and shit. Like <laughs> We've added so much more to this movie. Yep, aunt's totally a cultist, totally a Satanist, and that's Belial is supposed to be the Why not? Hail Satan. <laughs> so... So, no, look, I mean, the naming of Belial aside, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I think, you know, to me, Belial is this sort of perfect combination of, like, kind of cool monster mm -hmm. and extremely offensive, you know, <laughs> uh, which is which is like the, the the average sort of vibe you get from a Hennenlotter movie, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that's on purpose. Like, he, he you know, that it's the point to, like make you uncomfortable, maybe kind of offend you, but oh, also, yeah. you know, hope you have a good time. Mm -hmm. and, and Belial kind of, you know, makes me think of that because even though he is this uh, Siamese twin blob tumorish person, mm -hmm. if you could say, he's a blobbery. He's a blob. Yeah, he's a blob. And, uh, and you know, he, he has that vibe, though, of being like, sort of like this twisted version of a little person almost, you know, mm -hmm. where, and just horribly mistreated in this movie with being in, carried around in a basket the whole time yep. and, you know, all that stuff. And so, I don't know, there's just something about it where it's like, it's a neat monster, but it also makes you so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, he definitely does. And I think that Belial really could be essentially a metaphor for a lot of different things. Um, you know, he could potentially be a metaphor for you know, how people unfortunately view other people with autism or Down syndrome or anything like that. Any sure. any kind of thing that really makes a person well, other, unfortunately. Well, well and you and you get that from 
from the father played by Richard Pierce, you know, who this the moment he lays eyes on him is like basically like that thing's not my son, you know, or yep. or like just wants him murdered. And, you know, that was unfortunately the case for a lot of children born with disabilities in different yep. times, you know. Uh, where, you know, they would almost immediately just be killed. Yeah. Uh, sadly. And so, so no, you can definitely, I think you can definitely apply that to Belial. I have my kind of own theories a little bit. Um, <laughs> As you do. <laughs> uh, but I do definitely think that's one application. And the, and the fun thing about Basket Case is, even though I'm not sure Henenlotter intends most of what we're going to talk about tonight... <laughs> Uh, it, it is one of those films that's very much opened up to interpretation mm -hmm. because there actually is like a really kind of fascinating story between Belial and Dwayne. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and like part of the thing that I look at with Belial is is almost sort of being like this subconscious of Dwayne mm -hmm. uh, and just kind of like, you know, the fact that Dwayne has grown up uh, basically homeschooled, uh, had kind of an abusive dad, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, well, not kind of. He yeah, definitely yeah. an abusive definitely. dad, <laughs> and, and just had a really tough life growing up. I mean, for God's sakes, is you know his first kiss isn't even with Sharon in, until this movie, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I think Dwayne's got to be like twenty one at least or something. Sometimes people are late bloomers. No, no, no. It's okay to be a late <laughs> bloomer, but I'm just saying you definitely get the impression that Dwayne has been sheltered isolated. and isolated and kind of forgotten by the world right yeah and and so i sort of you know at times especially when belial is like screaming <laughs> his head off you know and, and of course the scene where he just goes crazy in the hotel room and is throwing everything around you know he's almost just kind of like this this inner rage of Dwayne, right he's like this part of him that that we all try to forget you know that part of us that's like angry and vile and uh, you know murdery or whatever <laughs> and primal and and belial is just kind of the representation of that is like this tumorous little blob person right and and so yeah to me he to me that's part of what he is is just kind mm -hmm. of this this just angry subconscious of Dwayne that's so pissed off at the world basically <laughs> That's definitely an interesting take on it, just because, I mean, you know me, I always just literally look at what's presented to me, so I never sure. con consider them as anything other than brothers, but I do definitely see how, like, Belial could be a good representation of, you know, him not really having the tools, like, when you've been so isolated and so homeschooled, and you haven't really been taught any of the, like, social shit that you kind of need to know you know, that is going to make your reactions to things different, potentially, mm. like, more extreme just because you don't know how to react to certain situations. Mm. I think it's kind of interesting looking at them as brothers because it feels very unbalanced. Because on the one hand, you've got Belial, who very much so just wants to fucking live. Yeah. Like... This little goo blob monster man who has a horrible name, and I'm going to henceforth refer to him as Scott because he deserves <laughs> a real name. Um, or Lyle. Why did he just shorten it to Lyle? That's a perfectly normal name. Belial is fine. I don't know why you hate Belial so much. <laughs> I just So I feel bad for him because it is this thing where he has so been treated as other, even mm. by Dwayne, 
you know, and this is this is this little dude who just wants to live so badly that like he survives the weird, horrible surgery committed on him by a weird vet lady. Yeah, v- very disturbing scene, by the way. Like yeah. just just the sound design of it alone, with all the like ripping and tearing oh, and shredding. So, <laughs> so horrifying. And, and I love, and I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I just want to make sure I say it. I love the shot uh, where Dwayne finds him after the surgery, and it's just like this hand you know poking out of a garbage bag yeah like i just that that's one of those images i think that you know had i been head and lauder would have been one of those images where that made me excited to to write the movie you know Mm -hmm. because it's just it's one of those things that you just hadn't seen a lot like that before and it's really creepy it is Like, like you definitely you get the seeds of how creepy the original script of this film was Mm -hmm. in this version you know like it obviously it's more of a horror comedy the way Henenlotter filmed it, but there are those moments that are just like, that's really fucking unsettling. Yes. <laughs> I mean, look, Belial's just wordless screaming is unsettling. Yeah, but um, in a different way. That's more of like is. nerve grating. <laughs> yeah, that's also true. But you know, it's, you know, you've got Belial who so wants to live and is infantized by everything. He has to be carried around in a basket. He doesn't get to meet people. Like, they don't really take any chances on him getting to explore the world. And on the other hand, you have Dwayne, who, especially after being separated from Blau, can have his own life. He could, you know, ostensibly live for himself, experience the world, and he kind of chooses not to. Because mm. it's not like, you know, they got separated yesterday. Fucking years have passed. Years mm. have passed where Dwayne has kept himself in isolation and it's almost kind of like this weird thing where like Belial seems like he wants to live and experience life so much more than Dwayne and I think that's why he freaks the fuck out when Dwayne kisses a girl because he's like fuck you motherfucker you've had the last five years to do whatever you want and now now that we're getting my vendetta revenge you fucking kiss a girl (laughs) it's an interesting way to put it you know the part of part of part of why I think that is is that you know, if you want to look at them as brothers, like, you know, and not look at it metaphorically, like, I think as brothers, you know, there is something to be said about the fact that they've continued to stick together like this. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, obviously part of that is love and and they were together for so long, you know, before this that they they have this innate feeling of believing that they're supposed to be connected, you know. It's a weird uh, like, codependence. Yeah, they're very codependent on each other. Uh, part of, you know, I, I have this inkling that, like, potentially some of Belial's kind of psychic power that we sort of learn about plays into it, you know, because we kind of get the impression that Belial does have psychic power that reaches mm-hmm. not not just in to a degree where he can speak to Dwayne, uh, through their minds, but you also kind of get the idea that Dwayne also, or that Belial also has a little bit of like psychic manipulation powers yeah. because uh, personally, I think that that's what happens with with Sharon later on, where she says that she couldn't stop thinking of Dwayne. Mm-hmm. I think that's because Belial is putting those thoughts into <laughs> her mind. You know, because that would make sense because otherwise this woman has poor taste in men. Well, well, right. You have to wonder like what the hell Sharon is still sticking around for after Dwayne literally like 
throws her out of his building and is screaming about murdering somebody like right? you know and all they've done is gone on one date it's mm-hmm. and i i you know just by the looks of it i don't think that that was the best kiss she's ever had in her life no that looked like a so, really awkward kiss well it's his first kiss it's supposed to be you know so so there there's there's not a lot of reason to me for sharon to be like i have to have you Dwayne. yeah <laughs> unless unless belial is manipulating that a little bit but but look, we'll get to that later. What, what I what I do want to mention here is that I really love this sort of play between Belial and Dwayne, and kind of how, uh, and especially like how Hentenrick. I'm gonna. I know I'm gonna keep saying that wrong. <laughs> especially how he sort of plays the character of Dwayne, because if you if you notice, there are times where you almost sort of feel like Belial is speaking through him and and like one moment I've never felt that once in my life <laughs> well maybe you would if you watch it again so like I'm the, not. <laughs> so like there's the moment at the bar where he's talking to uh Casey played by Beverly Bonner the the neighbor that he has and as he's talking he says uh he says Dwayne and I mm-hmm. as he's talking to her you know, and and that's intentional by the actor because he wanted to imply that Belial, like they're so connected that Belial is essentially controlling him at times as well. Mm-hmm. And you sort of see that later on too, like with the whole dream sequence, where <laughs> where he's just <laughs> running dick out through the streets. Where he's running <laughs> dick out through the streets, which I mean, honestly. You know, huge credit to Henrik for doing that. I mean, he's barefoot running through streets, just completely naked. I, I mean, they he easily could have been arrested. It's actually kind of funny uh, how they did that. I forget, I forget where exactly it was shot. It's this area that they describe as basically being like a ghost town after seven o'clock or something. And essentially, it's not what, suspicious at all. Well, and and essentially, what happened is in the script, it was actually supposed to be Belial that was running naked, and. I mean, he's you know, always naked. Well, f- fine, but <laughs> I mean, yes. Does but, he have <laughs> tiny pants on that we can't see? No, you know what I mean. It's it's supposed to be Belial running through the street, okay? And and what they were gonna, they were gonna have to animate that the way they wanted to shoot it. And as you can see with you know the earlier animation shot in the movie, the the animation is not exactly the strong point. Of the film, you take that back. I love the animation. No, no, no. The animation is great. It, it's hilarious to me. But, <laughs> but I mean, that's the thing is, it's like it. You know, Henenlotter essentially, I think, was doing that himself because he was going to have an animator who didn't want to do it or something like that. And so Henenlotter did it himself, and he was kind of learning on the fly. And so, like, he did a good job. Yep. But the thing is, is like for those of you that have never done that kind of stop motion animation, it's fucking hard. Yes. And it takes a really long time. Yep. You know, so. So he was like, we would have been out there for fucking days, you know, doing this, <laughs> doing this shot of Belial, you know, running down the street animated. And so he basically just called up uh, Hentenrick last minute and was like, hey, so here's a proposal and feel free to say no. And he ended up being totally cool with it. And anyway, they I just thought it was funny because they basically had this setup where like they would drop Hentenrick off in a van and then at the other end of the street, they had Henenlotter, the camera, and another van waiting. And so Hentenrick would run down there and then jump into the van, <laughs> and the van would take off. And it was to be in case someone did call the cops, and they showed up, and they're like, 
hey, we heard about a running naked dude, and Hannah Lana would just be like, I don't know what you're talking about, you know? <laughs> I've never seen so, a running naked dude in my life. Yeah, so anyway, you know, <laughs> independent guerrilla filmmaking, everyone. Um, it's the best. What the hell were we talking about? So... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bill Lyle taking oh, over yeah, Dwayne's so, brain. So, so that dream sequence, you know, it kind of like it. It also is expressing that sort of deeper connection that they have, where you know, you do just they're one and the same basically. Yeah. Wh- which is why I do really view Belial as partially as a subconscious, uh, because I mean, you know, you just like the, just the symbolism too of him carrying around this basket with Belial in it. And it's basically like a laundry basket, you know, so I look at it as him like carrying around his dirty laundry, you know, like he just, <laughs> he, it, it, Belial is like this subconscious part of him that he hides from everybody that he carries around in this basket like baggage, you know, like, like Belial is basically just literal like squash octopus baggage, <laughs> you know, emotional baggage, <laughs> Emo- literal emotional baggage. And you know, so so that's kind of like where I start to view them as that, and why I do see Belial very much as like this sort of darker part of Dwayne. You know, because it's all Belial's idea too to go to go do the murders. Like Dwayne doesn't take any responsibility for that. You know, other other than saying, "Oh, I went along with you." <laughs> I mean, that's definitely true. It's why, again, like looking at the relationship is interesting because it is a very kind of toxic codependency. Um, because neither of them are really acknowledging the other part of them, you know? Mm. Like, you know, if, if we're viewing this through, like, Belial being Dwayne's subconscious, it's Dwayne not really, like, confronting that shit the way that he should in healthy manners, and that's why it can it can take over him sometimes. Well, and, and you know, so, so I have to throw in your, like, so this is kind of where my sort of view on the movie gets weird. <laughs> like it wasn't already? Shut up. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so, and I want to I wanna preface with where this comes from, right? So, okay. so I, I'm looking at when, I'm looking at the surgery scene, right? Mm-hmm. The, the whole thing the that... Horrible, horrible surgery scene. The horrible surgery scene that, that sparks the events of the movie uh, years down the line where where they're hunting these doctors that perform the operation, right? Uh, and and I kind of look at it as like, okay, so you got this abusive dad, he's single dad, uh, definitely seems like he shelters Dwayne quite a bit, uh, definitely seems like he maybe doesn't hate Dwayne himself, but doesn't like Dwayne a lot. Yeah. And and especially hates Belial. And then just kind of how Belial acts later on in the film, right? With being so like grabby, <laughs> let's say. But I but I look at all that and you know, to me, uh, Belial, why I keep saying he's partially Dwayne subconscious cuz I also kind of look at Belial as sort of being like sort of being like a representation of the idea that basically to me Basket Case is a film about castration. And what so- <laughs> the fuck? And, what and, are you on? And 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 you can say castration in a in a metaphorical or literal level, whatever you want to consider it as. Details. But, but to me, but to me, is it, a, it is a movie about castration and it is a movie about puberty, right? So it's it's about kind of those two things combined. So like, basically, the way I sort of see this is like, if you. This is if you go back and and you consider that 
if you if you put it into your mind that okay, at that surgery scene, what that really is is that's Dwayne essentially having his dick cut off. Why are <laughs> they doing that to him? <laughs> Just listen. Is that's Dwayne essentially having his dick cut off because maybe his dad didn't want him to, you know, maybe his dad like didn't like the idea of his son like getting out and you know being into girls and all this so kind of stuff and <laughs> it's a fucking basket case of course it's fucked up so uh so you know didn't like this idea of his son like you know getting handsy with women or anything like that so he castrated him and i get and when you kind of view it that way you know it, it, everything sort of starts to make sense in a way uh, How because <laughs> you just made me more confused? <laughs> because 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 if again if you look at it on like a metaphorical level, you know you look at the fact that uh, Belial continuously pops up every time uh, every time Dwayne gets close to a girl. Mm-hmm. You know, so whether whether it's Casey or Sharon, you know, Belial is interrupting every sort of interaction with women that he has. And is Belial his discarded penis in this metaphor? I mean, <laughs> I mean, he kind of looks like a lumpy dick, right? Or, or like a God, lumpy I dick. hope not. Whose dick looks like that? <laughs> well, not, not a lumpy dick. He looked, he looks, like a ball sack, maybe. No, no, no. He, he looks like he looks like the very deformed, cut off, like head of a dick. I don't know. <laughs> just the tip. Just, just the, tip. the tip. He's just the tip. Um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> even is this this if is you why stopped I interrupting me maybe and listen maybe it would make sense this is why i hate <laughs> modern art so 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 look look whether or not you consider him it to be a metaphor for castration or whatever the fact of the matter is to me this is a movie about puberty right so like you, i can agree with that at least you can agree with that so basically the way i view it is like every time Dwayne is getting close to a girl belial pops up and it's almost like this kind of it's almost kind of like this, not only just a remembrance that, shit, I don't have a dick, um, but also, <laughs> you know, and, and like the fear of these women discovering that, but also just the the idea that, you know, it's essentially like performance issues, you know, where it's like he, he, he is, he, he's been so sheltered and has never been with a woman that he has a fear of sex, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so that especially is like why, you know, during the first kiss with Sharon, you have Belial popping up and be like, you know, like screaming his head off because it's essentially like the fear of Dwayne, you know, pounding through his mind basically of just like, you know, he, he just has this innate terror of getting closer to a woman. And Belial is kind of like the subconscious excuse to not go further, basically. <laughs> Does any of that make sense to you? <laughs> I mean, I guess, but you know what? I'm going to go on the opposite track. If Belial's a dick, be I'm like not saying he's a dick. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> if if, if, I'm just saying he's a representation of of, of Dwayne's I, decapitation. All right, <laughs> <laughs> decapitation. That was good. I like that. I would make the argument that, like, instead of a castration thing, if we're doing the puberty, that I feel like Belial is much more likely to be the inconvenient boner that he's just so embarrassed about. I mean, it's also that too, right? Yeah, I, I, mean, would, I would go with he's the extreme sex drive I, and boner he doesn't know what to do with. Instead of him, I, like, I just think getting cast- his dick cut off. I just think castration is funnier, and I do think it ties in better to the surgery thing. But, <laughs> but, but no, yes, I mean Belial is also that. But basically, Belial is just like whatever route you want to go with this. Belial is just the, 
he he is the the thing that is holding back Dwayne mm-hmm. when it comes to sex. You know, fear of sex, performance issues, decapitation, whatever you want to view it as. <laughs> Belial is whatever lumpy piece of flesh you want him to be. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that was fucking weird. <laughs> well, well, look, and and you know, to me, this is also part of like. You know, to me, that also, like, helps, too, with, like, why, with the way that the doctors are viewed in this film, right? Uh, because, <laughs> You're just thinking about the decapitation, aren't you? Well, well, and I'm, and I'm also thinking of, like, you know, boys getting their dick cut when they're young by doctors. Jeez. <laughs> um, <laughs> you thinking about circumcision I, right now? Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, just so. Just the tip. I mean, look, maybe it's part of that too, right? Dwayne was circumcised. He didn't want to be. He, he grew up being angry that he was circumcised. I'm, uh, I'm sorry. I'm totally off the rails tonight, everyone. I'm so- <laughs> you know what? That's appropriate for basket case. But on the theme of the doctors, it is interesting with them because, like, this movie kind of views the doctors in such a different sense than we're normally used to seeing them, right? We're normally used to seeing doctors in very... Oh, I don't think so. Really? Like, the only reason why I say that is because I feel like even with the shittiest of doctors, we're used to seeing them in a sterile environment, right? Well, that's true, yes. And so that's what I think is interesting about this film. Like, we've seen a bajillion shitty doctors because, let's face it, the medical field is unfortunately filled with people who don't give a fuck about their patients or their job. So seeing shitty doctors, even, like, a weird vet that, like, hits on on young men in a very creepy sense... Yes, I'm looking at you, Dr. Cutter, played by Diana Brown. Oh, I love it. And look, you know. (laughs) She doesn't blink. This is is no offense to Diana Brown, but for some reason she reminds me of like – uh, like a like a poor person Sigourney Weaver, you know, like 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 you would hire her at like yeah. a really bad birthday party to be Sigourney Weaver. Or you something. know what? <laughs> I would be honored by a compliment like that. Okay. Yeah, I think if somebody was just like, "You're a knockoff of this famous person," I'd be like, "Fuck yeah, yeah, that's dope." Like I don't know what it is. She 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 just there's something about her that screams like Sigourney to me. Yeah. But not like the good version of Sigourney. No. <laughs> the bad version. Yeah, the basket case version. Yes. The Belial if you will. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what I think is interesting is that like we've taken the bad doctor to a whole nother level with the fact that not only are the doctors completely unethical, like disgusting shit pigs, but also their environment is gross and they shouldn't be committing like medical shit. Like Dr. Dr. Needleman, like his whole office, if you go to his fucking office, you're coming away with a disease. He routine- oh, you're definitely getting tetanus or something. <laughs> yeah, you, he routinely like prescribes the wrong medication to people. He's a shit doctor on a whole nother level. Well, look, they're all shit doctors, and and this is part of the point. And and you know, this is an area where I do think that Helen Lauder is definitely trying to make some kind of statement. You know, mm. I don't know what it is. I've never heard him talk about it. But oh, it's a doctors fucking suck. Well, I think that's obvious, but. <laughs> But, you know, and look, I mean, this came – and I'm not saying that, Hen- that this is what Henlotter is commenting on because I don't think he is. But, you know, this came around a time, too, where, like, this is during the AIDS crisis. And, it, you know, some people understood then, as we do now, that doctors were basically fucking pricks about the whole yep. AIDS crisis, you know. And they and they were wrong. And yep. they were, you know, essentially trying to make it out to be a, a quote-unquote gay disease when that is not what it was, you know. And just targeting a whole community. And so – you know, so I think, especially around that time, there began to be this kind of 
view of doctors that wasn't as positive as maybe it might have used to be. And I, I didn't live back then. I don't know how positive it was then either, you know. But I think there was some kind of shift there. And so it, it you know, so it is interesting to see all these environments being really dirty and disgusting and, and the doctors themselves are, are sleazy dickheads, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and I love, too, that Ken and Lauder is just not in the least bit subtle with their names, you know, calling them Dr. Needleman and Dr. Cutter, mm-hmm. when, in fact, Dr. Needleman is the one who sticks the needle in Belial, yep. and Dr. Cutter is the one who cuts Belial <laughs> off. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to be obvious. Yeah, but, you know, but but that's the thing is, like, they're, they're names that imply the – the the more violent parts of doctors, the mm-hmm. sleazier part of doctors, you know, the the needles and the cutting and just like the the sort of maniacal side of it, right? Um, and then also to this, you know, going back to just kind of how everything in this film is so kind of exaggerated and nuts. Uh, part of that I also like to look at is like I, I view this movie through Dwayne's point of view, you know. Mm-hmm. So so Dwayne being this kind of you know, a sheltered person who obviously hasn't had much interaction with people outside of his aunt and his dad and Blyle, uh, you know, to him, the world's probably a very scary and weird place, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, like, he himself is this very reserved, doesn't really have much emotion kind of person. And so to him, like, even the most basic human ar- human interaction must seem, like, alien and strange, right? You're and just so, saying that to explain all the screaming in this movie. I am. And so, <laughs> you know, so when you think about it that way, like, it all kind of makes sense if you look at it through his point of view because he must see everyone around him as as just being, like, these kind of screaming, like, psychotic people, right? Mm-hmm. And then taking that into consideration, the doctor's offices, you know, we don't know. I mean, the doctor's office could look totally normal, and to him, it's full of grime and dirt and nastiness because that's how he views the doctors so i can i can definitely agree with that and you know for me i think the messaging with the doctors is you know something that we do see in horror films quite frequently and i'm glad that we do and it's the fact that doctors cannot be trusted to have their patients best interest in mind unfortunately yeah, you know, well, well, when you live in a capitalist society where it's all about getting that mm-hmm. money, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, not only that, but when you consider, like, you have to be a special type of person to even be able to be a doctor. You already have to be rich and have time. Well, when you say special type of person, you mean privileged. <laughs> yeah, you have to be a privileged person to be a doctor. Usually, which, yep. Yeah, which means that you're already going to have a disconnect to most of your patients. You're already going to think that you're better and smarter than them. And I think that that's really what we see with the doctors. And there are a lot of dumb doctors out there, too, let's There's be honest. There's so many fucking <laughs> dumb doctors. Like, the amount of, like, people who have to do their own medical research and then present it to their doctors is, frankly, disgusting. Yeah. And I think that that's what really what we're getting with this film is that we're being presented with doctors who really have absolutely no interest in what is best for their patient but care about what's best for the person paying them, a.k.a. Yeah. Dwayne's dad. Yeah, and this is what happens, right, yep. is, you know, Dwayne's dad pays them, and so they don't really give a fuck about Belial Dwayne. and Dwayne or the mm-hmm. safety of either of them. It's just about, well, we're going to get our money and we're going to do this thing, you know? Exactly. And and so, yeah, they're they're almost like, you know, they're they're medical assassins for hire, right? It's <laughs> 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 essentially what that. they are. And, and, I mean, that's, you know, that's what a lot of doctors are, too. And, mm-hmm. and in the sense as well that, they won't treat you if you don't have the money, yeah. you know? So, 
Uh, so no, there's definitely a contempt for doctors in this film, mm-hmm. uh, both from Dwayne and Belial, and I think the filmmakers. <laughs> yep, I relate uh, to that. Fuck and, doctors. And, and we can all relate to that, I think, especially these days. Something else, too, that I noticed in Doctor's Office, which stuck out to me just because of stuff later, is there's the sign uh, that says happiness is good health. Uh, yeah, I know you don't notice these things. So, like, there's a, <laughs> there's a sign. There's I noticed a si- the clothes. What'd you notice about the clothes in this one? <laughs> Shut up. Just continue with your thing. I can answer that. They're all very brown and dreary. Okay. <laughs> and gross and continue shitty. Continue with your anyway, shit. Anyway, um, <laughs> and colorless. Uh, but no, the the sign in in Dr. Nealman's office, ha- uh, happiness is health or, or good health or whatever. I started thinking about that with Casey because <gasps> Casey. Love Casey. And this ties back to the whole like sort of sexual element of it is that Casey you know, like, Hen and Lauder just went nuts with s- the smiley face theme with Casey. It's and everywhere. <laughs> it's on her fucking nightgown. Well, and smiley faces were popular back then. Like, you also see it in uh, in Joe Dante's movies. He always, like, sneaks a smiley face uh, sticker in somewhere. Um, I only know that because I'm a huge fan of the Howling, but... <laughs> fucking nerd. I love you. But, you know, when I look at Casey, you know, we... I think it's fair to say that Casey's a sex worker. I think we get that impression. Um, the first time we meet her, she's taking a dude into her room. She's definitely well, a prostitute. Well, I don't want to assume, but you never know. But I guess part of why that stands out is that I look at Casey and all these smiley faces and just being this very happy person. And again, looking at it from Dwayne's point of view, I think Dwayne, there's almost like a jealousy of that because Dwayne looks at her and is like, she's totally comfortable with herself and with sex and all of this and he's jealous of that Mm -hmm. he wishes that he had that you know he wishes that he had that happiness is good health kind of thing and part of the implication here is that good health is just being comfortable with yourself yeah (laughs) you know and so and and just with the way that he is with having this sort of like fear of all that kind of stuff you know he doesn't have that happiness he has belial (laughs) (laughs) Uh, <laughs> and and so I don't know that that's just that's just what came to me with just because there's so much fucking smiley face imagery with Casey that I'm like, well, she's the only character who's just super positive and comfortable with her sexuality. So <laughs> she really is. It it is kind of really refreshing. It's one of the things that I love about Casey as a character is you know we're not we're not demonizing the the profession or anything like that because yeah and in 1982 that's actually kind of a big deal you know because that huge. that was a profession that i mean even still up to recently and probably now is still demonized you know it is um and it is really nice to see Casey as a character who her her profession isn't demonized she's not demonized and not only that but she looks out for other people as we see when um you know, she warns Dwayne about um, O'Donovan looking into his keyhole and stuff like that. And, yeah, I do agree with you that, you know, Casey is kind of that that ideal of being comfortable with yourself and everything like that. And Dwayne very clearly is not comfortable with the fairer sex, as you will. You could say that. <laughs> like, and here's the thing. It's, it's interesting to see his relationship because, like, when him and Sharon first meet, they're a little bit awkward, but nothing. A little r- bit awkward. She literally screams at him like she's gonna cut his throat. I, that a, is as, true. As her form of hitting on him, like you haven't been to this or this <laughs> or this, you know. Well, that's on Sharon and not on Dwayne. Dwayne is, 
you know, actually pretty good about the whole interaction, even though, like, she's, like, a screaming banshee, and I do not understand why he wants to go on a date with her. Well, again, again, through his point of view, her even just flirting with him a little bit, to him, is probably very, like, intense. (laughs) Fair enough. That is always a point of view that I do not consider with this movie. (laughs) But it's a good one. But, you know, we see with, like, Dwayne's and Belial's sexual encounters with Sharon, neither of his subconscious nor his actual body know what the fuck to do with a female body. No, they do not. <laughs> no, but Lyle fucking poached her in the nipple. Like, I mean, of all the weird fucking well, <laughs> shit to do, poking well, a girl in the nipple is pretty fucking weird. I mean, look, not not to out myself as male here, you know, but like, <laughs> but I mean, it's, look, I mean, part of that just comes from an understanding of like, Little boys are fucking weird. And did and you poke a girl's no, nipple? No, I didn't poke a girl's nipple, but the but what I'm saying <laughs> is that when you're when you're a little boy and you first hit puberty, as Belial kind of is, mm-hmm. you know, or or is still in that phase of having not experienced any of that stuff, there you know, men don't have breasts. And so there's <laughs> a there's a curiosity of like You have nipples though. I know, but it's not a boob, you know? <laughs> boob nipples are different. Uh, well, look, I mean, this is a, you can laugh all you want, but it's a primal thing, you know? It's like, you know, like there, there's something that, <laughs> what, what is it? The, the, is it the Oedipus thing with, with men and their mothers or whatever? Like, Ew, yes. No, but, but I'm just, I'm just saying there's a primal thing between like babies and boobs and whatever. And, and, and therefore men and boobs and whatnot. And I'm probably not making sense because I'm buzzed and I'm too buzzed to be talking about this kind of thing right now. But like the <laughs> I want to argue Faust with you, but that's not. But look, not. But, but look, the point the point is like if you're if you're boys during puberty are really fucking weird. All right. <laughs> and, and weird and weird is the nicest way to put it. All right. Like like there there are boys that I knew growing up who would like put their dick against the hot car door because it's just like, <laughs> you know, cause it's just like the sensation of it that they've never had before. Like boys during puberty are fucking weird. If you have a little boy right now who has not hit puberty yet, I feel for you. Cause you're going to experience <laughs> some weird fucking shit. And so get a lot of Kleenex, <laughs> get a lot of Kleenex. Just like, look everywhere in your house has had semen on it at this point. All right. Oh. Like, <laughs> Uh, okay, getting away from the gross thing for a second, although and into another gross thing, is that yes, you know they're they have an odd connection with women, say the least, and and with the whole sexuality element of it, you know it's why like I I'm I'm generally super opposed to to any kind of rape scene in a film. Um, basket case. You know, I will admit, like, for a long time, I didn't really like this film because I saw it at a young age. And and because I'm so opposed to scenes like that, uh, that scene in this movie kind of made me feel like, uh, I don't really need to see this again for a while, you know? It's a tough and, one because of where the blood is. Well, that too. And so, so like, that, that definitely put me off it for a while. Uh, having revisited it, though, you know, it's or, – or as I got older, you know, it – it sits with me better because I actually think that this is one of the rare instances where it's like necessary isn't the word, but it also doesn't it also doesn't feel like it doesn't belong there either. And it's tastefully done as far as a scene like this. Uh, I, I don't know if tasteful is the word no, for but it, it, but, <laughs> but it, it works with the movie. It doesn't feel gratuitous, I guess. It, do, it doesn't feel overly gratuitous. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very disturbing, though. Yes. You know, having Dwayne 
pop in there and Belial's just like I can't Humping call it, her corpse. Well, I can't call it dry humping because it's it's wet with blood. But oh like, God. <laughs> um, our audience hates us right now. But the eh? or me or me at least. Um, but but the blood thing is what I actually think makes the moment very effective and and stand out uh, with the themes and just the film in general because you know I I get the impression that like that's not. It's her blood, probably, mm-hmm. but it's not in the way that you think it is. Like, you, know? you didn't bite her on the cooch and she's bleeding out? Like, like that's probably what it is. Like, mm-hmm. y- I mean, Belial, as far as I can tell, does not have a penis. No. You know? No, he's a um, lumpy boy. He's a, he's a lumpy boy. And, again, tying into the whole, you know, decapitation thing. Um, he, does not, he does not have a penis. And he, he's not capable of fucking the way that Dwayne is, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, like, I guess kind of what I'm getting at is that however the blood got there, uh, the way it plays to me is, you know, the the blood being where it is, it, it speaks to, I, this is going to sound so, you know, just wrong, but like the, where the blood is, it, it speaks to, you know, just that's what happens to, to women losing their virginity, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so I guess. So you think it's, it's Bilal breaking his hymen and losing his virginity? Well, <laughs> for lack I, of a better term, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know if I'd quite put it that way, but <laughs> but it's basically like a really twisted version of that, right? Yeah, you know, it's a really twisted version of of just the the animosity of of losing, you know, your virginity, mm-hmm. and and in Belial's case, you know, this really aggressive male <laughs> yep. who who is doing this for the first time, and it's been pent up and denied to him the way that it is. You know, it comes out in this really horrible form, right? Well, it's and it's interesting that you use the the term "denied" to him, which I do think is very accurate for Bilal. But the way that I view really on um, Dwayne and Bilal's kind of like reaction to women, I think is very con- uh, it's th- it works really well with somebody who's been sheltered because I think that it. Oh, I was just gonna say really quick. Maybe another way to put it is again, if you're looking at. Belial is being Dwayne. Mm-hmm. You could also imagine too that like Dwayne is the one who did this with her. Yes, and maybe she is a virgin. We don't know. Yeah, you know, Dwayne is the one who did this and and murdered her in the process, like strangled her. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, and it's it's something that I think that is very interesting. That this movie maybe subtly comments on is you know this is in the eighties, and I grew up in the Midwest in like the nineties, early two thousands, and I grew up with the mind frame that you know while sex can be fun it's more about the dudes and it is about the girls and granted we've much progressed past that but that was not necessarily the case in the 80s and i think that the relationship between Dwayne and belial and women is very much showcasing what happens sometimes when you have a very sheltered dude who is raised to think about sex as more about it's for him and not about his partner and I think that we kind of see that with the fact that he fucking honks her tits. <laughs> Dwayne honks her fucking tits. Belial honks her tits. <laughs> no, no, no. Dwayne honks her tits when they're fooling around before Belial starts screaming. Belial mm, pokes, pokes her in the nipple. Fair. <laughs> um, and so I think that's, for me, that really is the commentary that this is having on, like, Dwayne's relationship with the women is, you know, this awkward relationship that boys are sometimes raised with where it's more about them and their pleasure and less about 
you know, their partner, which can lead to weird, murdery, rapey scenes like we see with Belial. Like, I think it's the extreme of that thought process. For sure. I, I can definitely see all that. And I mean, yeah, and you know, this all ties into, I think, the ending here where, you know, one of the, I think one of the best bits in the movie is Belial grabbing Dwayne by the dick <laughs> and lifting him up, right? And... It, you know, again, it, it. I mean, this is you know this. This is just where all my stuff is coming from with this movie. Is like the it, dick grabbing. Well, well, it's just like it's a consistent theme throughout it, right? Of just like Dwayne, <laughs> Dwayne essentially having a problem with his dick. You know, <laughs> whether 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 it is performance issues or fear of sex or any of that kind of stuff, it is it is a pained area for Dwayne. Yes. <laughs> And, like, on a literal level, Belial is jealous of Dwayne and jealous of the fact that he has this penis and Dwayne and Belial does not. Uh, but on another level, you know, again, it's just, like, Belial and everything that happens to this movie is is kind of, like, this really twisted, horrible version of puberty, you know? And mm-hmm. and, and Dwayne just, like, experiencing the worst parts of it, you know? Whether, yes. and, like, like, you mentioned getting a boner earlier. Like, yeah, part of that is... Getting a boner at a very inopportune time, you know, which which could happen yeah. during your first kiss. Like, yeah, it's embarrassing. <laughs> and, and it's super embarrassing. And so, you know, so that's all kind of there. And anyway, d- the two of them falling off the building and dying in the end, you know, I, I really do love just the last shot of them, uh, which, first of all, this is very much like King Kong, mm-hmm. uh, like very similar to King Kong. You know, I think uh, most a lot of the King Kong movies end with him falling off and everyone surrounding him. Although I think this particularly ties back to, I want to say it's the seventies version. Uh, but, but it feels very much like that. Anyway, the last shot, you know, they're conjoined again. Yeah. Like they're back together again in death. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I love about that is it's almost kind of like implying that they've spent this whole movie thinking that they have to be together. And them being conjoined in the end in death is almost kind of like saying, you know, you were better separate. Yes. Uh, it's almost kind of like like you are the death of each other, you know, and, and you are better not being so dependent on one another mm-hmm. because being so dependent on one another is what has led you to this. <laughs> I definitely agree with that. I think for me, the point that hits at home a little bit better is just a couple of seconds earlier when they're both, I mean – you know, look, this ending fucking sucks for Dwayne because his Siamese twin essentially picks him up by the dick and throws both of them out the window. But I think the point to remember is Belial could have saved himself. When they're both hanging from the sign, Belial could have saved himself and just dropped Dwayne and been done with it. Well, he it. can't live without Dwayne. <laughs> exactly. And I think that hammers home your point. They're so codependent that they have to die together in death. And that's the tragedy of this movie. For sure. And and again, on a subconscious level, I also think that, you know, if Belial is this fear and rage, this embodiment of that, you know, it's essentially this idea that Dwayne could not separate himself from that. Yeah. Dwayne couldn't separate himself from those, you know, negative feelings or whatever. And so it eventually kind of leads to this. Um, so anyway, we do have to start wrapping up as much as we'd love to continue <laughs> talking about this bizarre and amazing movie. Uh, so who is your killer idiot of basket case look for me honestly it has to be Dwayne like Dwayne could have had a life for himself could have carved out a life for Belial and they could have been separate people but he didn't 
And so that led to this tragedy of the entire movie. So, Dwayne, you're a fucking idiot. Come on. Come on, man. Uh, Your brother see, deserved better. Yeah, I'm going to say the bathroom thief because who the fuck <laughs> steals, like, a wicker basket? There in a could theater? be picnic food in there. What the hell does he think he's going to find in there? I mean, food. I mean, look, I get it. You know, there are a lot of crazy people on 42nd Street at the time and a lot of desperate people at the time. So maybe all he wants is a sandwich. I don't know. But but you don't you don't look at a you don't look at a basket like that that someone has in a porno theater and think to yourself there's got to be something like worthwhile in that basket. No, it's like his fucking old dirty clothes or a fucking ham sandwich or something, you know? Like what the hell does he think is in that basket? <laughs> look, this man is the embodiment of Yogi Bear. Leave him alone. So so no, my my idiot, that that unnamed bathroom thief. <laughs> um what about your killer death? Uh, look, this was a tough one for me because there's a lot of good deaths. Um, I'm going to go with the dad being killed by the weird over-the-top murder machine. I mean, you know, this is something like straight out of Saw. Like, I don't, I don't know what the fuck is going on here with this moment. I don't know why Dwayne and Belial build this just like horrible contraption. It's not even (laughs) Dwayne Belial built this. I thought Dwayne built it too. No, I think it's just Belial. No, they both. Come on, they both. Belial couldn't do that by himself. They both built it. So like, either way, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> There's pitchforks and a saw. They could have. They could have easily just stabbed him. Yep. I mean, the funny thing about it is, it's like this is also my killer death. And the funny thing about it is, like, it's not. <laughs> it's not. It's not like having this contraption instead of just stabbing him looks any less suspicious. It looks you know? more suspicious. <laughs> I mean, for God's sakes, the man has been sawed in half. Like how, how the cops have sort of like no inclination of something off has happened here. <laughs> it's horror movie cops. They're idiots. <laughs> I mean, these are like the worst horror movie cops, you know? So like, no, I, I, I love just how over the top that is. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> Can we give a shout out to Dr. Cunningham in a face shoved into a drawer full of knives? Who has oh, that? I don't know why you're so obsessed with a drawer full of knives. Because fu- who has a it's drawer a, full of scalpels? It's a fucking doctor's office. I mean, they have equipment like that all over the place. No, those are dangerous. <laughs> you have literally never worked at a doctor's office. You have no idea what's in those. I'm sneak into one now. You have no idea what's in those drawers. So... <laughs> I mean, come on, every time you go to the fucking dentist, they have a whole tray full of shit like that. It's a tray, not a drawer. Where do you think they get them from, Chris? Not a drawer. Yes, the drawers. (laughs) Anyway, um, (laughs) what about your killer MVP? Look for me, that goes to Beverly Bonner as Casey, because fucking she's the sunshine of this movie. I love her so much, and she's like my favorite part, so she gets my killer MVP, even though the animation is amazing. No, she absolutely is the sunshine of it. I agree with you there. Uh, I'm going to give it to the city itself. In, in, what the fuck? In particular, 42nd Street. Because because to me, it's like a character of the movie. Fair like, enough. Like, everything, everything in the film is informed by 42nd Street, you know? And just, like, how how just, like, dirty and sleazy it is. Like, everywhere they go is like that. Uh, not all of this was filmed on 42nd Street. Uh, some of it was. Uh, quite a bit, but... But, you know, just everything is informed by that. Everywhere Dwayne goes is just disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and and I just love how that plays into the vibe of the movie. Yes. Um, So so every week on Twitter at Killer Critics, we always get to put up a poll getting your thoughts and feelings on the film and what you think of it. So between love it, 
it's fine, don't like it, I've never seen it, where do you think the audience fell on? Basket case. I, mean, I feel like this is a cult classic for a reason, so I feel like Love It's going to win. So yeah, so no, Love It did win. It's got 56.5%. Uh, it's fine was 23.9%. Don't like it was 1.1%. And never seen it was 18.5%. Hmm. So I am actually kind of surprised by that, you know, because this is not a movie for everybody. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of, surprised to see the only 1.1% do not like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with that 1.1%. Yes, you are. You're probably the one person who voted on that. So <laughs> I would never. Well, you would never because you don't have Twitter <laughs> or you're never on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, so I always get comments from you all as well. So these are all from Twitter. Uh, first up is at Narcotic Casser One. So that's Narcotic C-A-S-S-E-R and the number one. And they say, this is one of the finest examples of low-budget horror. It's also the last great 42nd Street Grindhouse film made by the bastard child of 42nd Street Frank Henenlotter. It's a glory it's as glorious in its depravity as it is hilarious in its melodrama. I might love this movie a bit. And they I, I believe they also left a video uh cosplaying Dwayne with <gasps> with an actual Belial, so shout out to them for that. It's awesome. Well, I need to get on Twitter so I can see that shit. I look, I love how much you love this film. That's awesome, and that's why we're in the horror stuff. I would argue with you on, like, the best low budget, but that's all per personal preference. Yeah, um, Chris, is, Chris is basically saying, fuck you, Narcotic Casser <gasps> 1. Um, I am not. I just <laughs> maybe lean a little bit more towards Thanksgiving for one of my favorite Thanksgiving low budget. Thanksgiving? Of every fucking low budget movie you could say, Thanksgiving? <laughs> okay, A, I'm drunk, and B, it has a puppet. This has a puppet. Belial is a puppet. <laughs> Um, look, I like things killing, but no, Basket Case is way better. Uh, but, <laughs> but look, no, I'll so fight you, bitch. But look, no, so the comment, no, I mean, look, I, I agree with all that, and I especially love your, <laughs> I especially love you calling Frank Kendallard the bastard child of Forty Second Street. Uh, it's fucking perfect. perfect. I, I could not agree more. Um, so anyway, so no, I, I'm, I'm so glad you love this movie as well, and and how much you love it. Uh, so anyway, so thank you at Narcotic Caster One for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at Super Marcy. So that's Super M A R C E Y. And this is my friend Marcy. She has a podcast with our uh, friend Bede, quite a few of them. And so you should go check them out and listen to them. Uh, but she says, Where do I even begin with this film? My friend told me about it in high school, watched and had a blast with how ridiculous it was, and still think it's great. <laughs> It is a very ridiculous movie in in a good way, sort of a thing. Yeah, no, this this is a great movie. I think to experience at that age, you know, when you know, I'm not saying this was Marcy at that time, but like when you can get like super fucking stoned in high school and just <laughs> you know check out these bizarre movies that you didn't see before. Um, so no, completely agree. So thank you at Super Marcy for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at DC Universe Guy eighty. So that's DC Universe Guy, and then the number is eight zero. And they say, recently watched after years, it's amazing, need to watch the sequels now. I agree with you. I also need to watch the sequels because I'm curious. You don't even like this one. I don't give a <laughs> shit. I want to watch the sequels. Uh, so look, I'm also pretty unfamiliar with the sequels. I think I've seen part two. I honestly couldn't tell you for sure, though, because if I did, it would have been like when I was on a Netflix binge when <laughs> Netflix was first a thing and I was just renting like five DVDs a week or something. So... <laughs> Uh, so, so no, I honestly don't remember them very well either. So I would also like to watch the sequels. Uh, so thank you at DC Universe Guy 80 for the comment. Appreciate it. Next up is a comment from at Sinful underscore Redhead. So that's S-I-N-N-F-U-L underscore Redhead. And this is my friend Sarah. She also has a podcast about Ori. You should check her out. Listen to that. Uh, but she says, this is one of those movies that I didn't see until recently. 
within this last year when I was when it was on the last drive-in. I remember seeing the cover at the rental store, but never grabbed it to watch it. Kind of kicking myself in the ass for waiting for so long to see it. I loved it. <laughs> you know, I feel you there. Like, yeah. I wish that this was one that I had really grown up with, you know, because uh, mm. there's a certain nostalgia there to these things that we appreciate them more when that happens. Because uh, I didn't come across Basket Case uh, until a little bit later. You know, like I said, I think I watched it in when I was a teenager or something. So, so no, I, I wish I had discovered it earlier because it is. It's great. It's a really fun movie, and I, I do think it's more – whatever fan base it has, I think it deserves more of one. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, so thank you at Sinful underscore Redhead for the comment. Appreciate it. And then last of us a comment from at the Horror Guru. So that's the Horror G-U-R-U, and they just say, big fan. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, as are most of our <laughs> listeners, which is awesome. Again, I'm so – it's the nice thing about being part of the horror community is how excited and how much you all love this film, yep. and that's awesome. Yeah, good. going to set it better myself. Uh, so thank you at the Horror Guru for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, so we always do our monthly ranking at the end of the month as well for everything that we've talked about. So this month has been The Basket Case – or no, so this month has been Basket Case, uh, Cue the Winged Serpent, Friday the 13th Part 3 – and Forbidden World, so how would you rank this month? I feel like you know how I'm going to rank these. Obviously, number four is Basket Case for me. Obviously. Not surprised. <laughs> number three is Cue the Winged Serpent. Um, I also feel like we're not surprised. Uh, number two is Forbidden World because I love that goo monster. Mm. Um, and number one, obviously, Friday the 13th Part 3. <laughs> like, Jason's so, never going to win top spot. <laughs> so you're going to be surprised by this? I actually have the exact same ranking. So <gasps> oh, my God. Are we twinsies for once? <laughs> we are, just like Belial and Dwayne. <gasps> so, so just really quick, I, I, first of all, I want you all to understand, these rankings are not best. They're our favorites, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the thing with both Basket Case and Cue the Wayne Serpent, look, I love all these movies. Uh, those two are ones that, like, I think are better films. But, you know, they're just not ones that I put on all the time, right? Uh, Forbidden World and Friday the 13th Part 3, these are two movies I could literally watch any day of the week. Because <laughs> they, they capture so much of just, like, what I love about movies. Uh, they're fun. They're gory. They're insane. Uh, great characters, you know, just little bit of sleazy right and so <laughs> so so I'm, I'm just a big fan of both of those movies I, I just really love them and honestly i love all these this was kind of actually a a hard ranking to put together so <laughs> uh but anyway so as far as releases go this week uh there's one there's one film called so vam which is a queer vampire film that's now on shutter uh watched it the other night pretty pretty decent it's very low budget obviously but it's made by a very young filmmaker uh that's up and coming that has a unique style so if you if that sounds appealing to you, definitely go check that out. It's I really enjoyed it. Uh, another film is The Invitation, which is coming to theaters on the 26th. And I don't even want to say the plot for this one, other than it's a woman who gets invited to like a, a wedding for like long-lost relatives or whatever. Uh, do not watch the trailer. I think it spoils way too much about spoils the movie. Spoils everything. It, spo- it spoils quite a bit, so don't watch the trailer if you can avoid it. Just take my word for it that it looks like an interesting movie, and go check it out there if you want. And then also a film called Maneater, which comes to VOD on the 26th, which this just looks like probably another kind of crappy exploitation movie. They, they really haven't been that good lately. <laughs> uh, a lot of disappointments. I mean, I, I, I'm still not over the reef, too, not being very good. Mm. Um, so <laughs> uh, but that's on, the, on VOD on the 26th, so check that out if you want there. Uh, otherwise, we have not yet chosen our topic for next month. You'll see a poll up 
uh, to vote on topics on our Twitter at Killer Critics for uh, potential topics for next month. You can vote on there. So we'll announce that later this week. Otherwise, that's a deal for us on Basket Case. So I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a great night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore horror underscore critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans. <laughs>